It's time for Truth, a ministry of Truth Family Bible Church in Middleton, Idaho. It's time for Truth exists to glorify God through the edification of His saints in our local church and for the benefit of the church around the world. I am your host, Pastor Danny Steinmeier, and I am joined in studio with my friend and fellow elder at TFBC, Jim Berg. Well, we welcome you once again to another episode of the podcast. We are grateful that you have uh, chosen to listen to us today, and we hope that this podcast um, is both enjoyable and edifying for you. I think we've had some uh, really great episodes and some a uh, couple of good interviews, so we're looking forward to doing more of that t- type of content, and we hope that that has been something that you have enjoyed as well. And so we encourage you also to tell others about it. And feel free to share it around and invite others to tune in, and we'd really appreciate that. Well, uh, today, uh, Jim, how does how's the beard doing? Yeah, so the beard is still here. We talked about last week, a patient man has great understanding from Proverbs, so we want to go slow in this, and it's causing a little controversy. We've got some people that want it to grow, and some people that want it cut off, and some people that want it, me to maintain it. But I did find C.S. Lewis in his Screwtape's letter, letter 20, Screwtape, the senior evil demon, is talking to his nephew Wormwood. And he says, the aim is to guide each sex away from members of the other with whom spiritual, helpful, happy, and fertile marriages are most likely. Thus, we now have for many centuries triumphed over the nature to the extent of making certain secondary characteristics of the male, such as a beard, disagreeable to nearly all females. And so clearly we've got to build out a theology of beard before we cut this thing off. Oh, okay. That sounds good. Maybe we'll have to do a whole episode on the theology of beards. <laughs> that would be, uh, that'd be interesting. Well, uh, great. Well, we, we are uh, going to get started today. Uh, we thought with um, speaking to just a matter of the news. Again, I think that there's something valuable to that uh, in hearing from uh, your elders related to the things that are happening and the things that you're uh, hearing about and reading and just getting some of our perspective on that is certainly not uh, infallible. Uh, we are we are not the the Pope or Pope squared, whatever, but we are uh, just your your pastor seeking to um, shepherd and to think as biblically as we can about various things. and 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 at the time of this recording, we are all waiting breathlessly for the former president, Donald Trump, to be arrested. Now, perhaps by the time this podcast drops, it will have already happened. But this is, of course, uh, unprecedented. And like most things related to the Donald's presidency and post-presidency, um, this, this is uncharted territory, and, and this certainly seems to be a big deal. But why, why is this a big deal? We had uh, a while back another unprecedented event, the former president's home. Um, was raided by the FBI at his residence, supposedly in search of classified documents that were not supposed to be in his possession. But if if Trump is such a bad guy and if he has committed crimes, why is this such a big deal? Uh, shouldn't we actually want him to go down for his crimes? Uh, and Jim, just maybe th- thinking about this from from your initial perspective, what are, what are your thoughts? I mean, shouldn't we want him to go down if he's truly this kind of a bad egg? And the answer is yes, but. I mean, yes, if people do things that are criminally wrong or even morally wrong, there should be justice associated with that. 
The but is how it is exclusively used by one side or the other as a weapon. We've moved to weaponizing where we ignore all of the injustices in our own backyard and we apply our sense of truth onto the other side such that you find what you want no matter what you look for, especially in that environment of clearly conservative and liberal, but all, I would say, majority of them very non-believing and no real sense of what true justice from God is. So, oh, It certainly has devolved, yes, into a politicized uh, arena where, where justice is truly not uh, sought after, but it's about uh, just simply winning and, and taking out your opponents. But in this case, certainly uh, from the left, uh, they're playing for keeps. They're, they're not interested in actual justice. It's, it's actually weaponized. Uh, for the sake of their agenda, and uh, there's a bigger element to that. We'll get into that in a minute. But uh, I, I thought really, too, an important element of understanding this is the biblical category is on the subject of partiality or versus impartiality. And so the very description of God's goodness and his character, actually, in the Scripture is that he is impartial. In Deuteronomy 10, 17, it says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. Leviticus 19, 15 then extends that to um, the instruction to God's people. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. And, and so that's part of this issue that we're dealing with here is that this isn't about um, it, it being impartial. This is about being partial and deferring to one group over the other. Certainly you have the poor versus the, the, the great here in this passage, but it's certainly an element of, of one you favor versus one you don't. Leviticus 19.15, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor defer to the great but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. And in New Testament also, James chapter 2, verse 9, it, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Of course, pointing back to the, uh, to the original giving of the law. And so uh, this issue of, of partiality is, um, I think, a, a big deal. This is how we think of things Christianly. This is the really a standard of genuine and legitimate justice and, and what we're seeing is is two, a two-tiered system, right? Um, and it's based on uh, a preferred uh, political system. And I, I think it really points to the fact that that some people view what our country, some people view politics um, far more militaristically, far more um, in, in terms of of a battle and power as opposed to the other side. And and I think so a lot of the old rules, a lot of the old "Quote unquote." Remember in in, uh, in economics and government in high school, they called they talked about the game of politics. It's not a game, certainly at all anymore. That it's more like warfare, and this is this is how you take out your enemies by by wielding power in an impartial way. And one of the problems I think also that we have in this country is the expansion of the size of government, where you can't hardly move or breathe without violating some government restriction or statute or regulation or law, which means that if they want to get you, they can get you, right? And so it's just a matter then of, of having enough power to be able to wield it against your enemies because there's always going to be some measure 
of regulation or statute that they can uh, they can take you out in. And on top of that, the enforcement becomes selective. And when you have, uh, I don't think this is an understatement, when you have the communists in charge, it goes beyond selective and it becomes biased and targeted towards those who you perceive to be a threat to you, your ideology, and your power. And so what we see in this situation with Donald Trump, I think, is, is that he is being selectively targeted for his alleged personal infractions, things that are commonplace among politicians and presidents. We talked about this briefly before we went on, on the air. Do we really think that uh, that Donald Trump is actually unique among politicians, <laughs> such as holding, just even take the classified documents, which is not even what he's going to be arrested for at this time anyway. Um, but but the enforcement of it is not even is not even handed and it isn't impartial or unbiased at all. This is a targeted attack against a perceived political threat. Uh, and so the enforcement of it is, is not, um, again, even handed. When and, and the evidence for this being um, uh, biased and partial is you have Hunter Biden walking around. You have Joe Biden with his own uh, skeletons in the closet. Uh, they're handled with kit gloves or, or just given a pass. You think of Hillary Clinton and her server. Uh, you think of, uh, well, and beyond all the other things. Uh, Eric Swalwell. And uh, his, the guys on the, what was it, the intelligence committee with a, uh, having a relationship with a Russian, excuse me, a Chinese spy. Right. And then you have Diane Feinstein having a, a Chinese spy as her driver, uh, violating serious matters of national security. Those are national security. Those are the things that, that are absolutely fundamental to the security of a nation. You have dealing with spies, having government content on a personal and vulnerable server, and they all get a pass, no investigation or very little with no teeth to it, no prosecution. We, we, you think of the, the Epstein Island situation and still no, no actual issue with who's on those lists and who participated in these types of things. Um, but Donald Trump may be pursued to the fullest extent for his alleged personal interactions and indiscretions. And, and make no mistake, the prosecution of Donald Trump is also a message to his supporters, to the people who voted for him, and anyone else who dares to upset the D.C. apple cart. And the idea is don't think that you can be an outsider and ever get away with, again, uh, being in the way of the political machine. And I think it's more than that. That actually empowers both sides. It sends a message to to conservatives, not to go against D.C., but it also sends a message to the liberals. You know, you are empowered to do mm -hmm. anything you want. And it's why in the news today, we see the USA Today Women of the Year is a dude, right? These things are constantly occurring in our, in our, in our environment because they feel empowered. Reparations coming out of San Francisco, $5 million per person. That's lunacy. There is no way you could fund that other than to go after the conservatives, which is exactly what they're doing. That's a fantastic point, right? It is it is punitive against their political enemies, and it emboldens and empowers. We, we saw this with the uh, certain riots and certain gatherings being okay and acceptable, First Amendment expression. But if you're going to sing psalms in Moscow, Idaho, it's arrest those people. And it destabilizes justice. We go back to this, this idea of impartiality, but it's also destabilizing justice. And and again, it's back to this empowering. We see this, and this this Denver school shooting is tragic, right? This young man should never have done this. It's it's a horrible thing that occurred. But the school board, two years earlier, defunded and got rid of the police that were on site. Mm. And this young man was a known threat. They were 
patting him down every day. And who is patting him down? Not the police, the school administrators who are incapable of doing that. And so you just, you destabilize society by doing this. Well, the chaos, the destabilization, that is the point. Right. Right. That is the big idea. Right. Um, And so the elite and the powerful, uh, they're going to just wield the power of government against those that they deem to be a threat. And so justice, again, is not about impartial weights and measures. It is about who has the power to advance their agenda. And, and, and the powers that be are evil. We have evil people in government. It's, it's not about just the other side. This is wickedness. This is evil. And, uh, and they are enemies of God and the church. And, and so they're, they're making that known. And we just want to give you a little bit of that perspective. But Jim, what, what do you think about, I mean, over and over again, what do we do? Yeah. So what do, we do about it? You know, the, the first thing is pray. And that's a, that's a very generic statement that all of the church, I call Big Eva, would agree to that we should pray. But it's so much more than that. We have to recognize that there is no neutrality in this. There's there's no neutral ground in this. It is literally a battle. This is scriptural. And so with that, our role is to speak the truth into both people that need it and as well as the darkness. So, you know, we need to be forward in evangelizing even to the lost. I mean, that's that's such a critical point. So we've got to go into these dark places. We've got to go into the Meridian Library where they're posting all of this trans and, and gay material for these young kids to see, and we've got to speak the truth. And I think we've got to recognize, as, as we go into that, we have to recognize the trends that they're coming at us with. And so the new trend is to hide behind this First Amendment right. We saw that in the Meridian Library. Even the Denver School Board, they came out and said, well, we couldn't tell you who this person was, parents, because of his First Amendment rights. Well, they're ignoring their first responsibility, which is the protection of these children. So, you know, we've got to speak the truth and do that publicly. Um, we've got to understand our spheres. We've got to understand what our responsibility is and where the government or these other authorities, even the church leaders can and cannot come in. I was just doing my taxes and it's insane the number of questions that they're asking you that are none of their business. Hmm. And I won't speak to the specific, specific one, cryptocurrency, because they have no right to know what I do or don't have in there. And so I should not have to answer a yes or no question. And Danny, this goes back to what you said. They could come after me for not filling out my form correctly, right? If they knew what I was doing, but I'm not going to tell them, right? So it's a really interesting time and we've got to be aware of the times and then we've got to continue to speak truth and continue to grow in faithfulness and obedience to Christ. So I think that's well said. And I think there's that recognition. I love what you said about the, there is no neutrality in this and it's Christ or it's chaos. And, yeah. and that sounds like a great conference, actually. We, that might be something that it comes in the future, but uh, the, this element of, of recognizing that their position is, is actually one that they own everything and therefore you have to answer to them for everything and that's a that's a that's a bad place to be when we recognize christ is lord of all and that there are spheres that he has designed and so we seek to be uh honoring and obedient to him above all and and as we at the same time uh seek to honor our authorities and and be respectful and submissive uh but there are things that are not uh that are not given to them and so therefore there are things that aren't owed i mean think about that usa today the woman of the year I mean, remember when they said this trans movement wasn't going to impact women at all? Well, women can't even compete in sports anymore. They can't even win a Woman of the Year award. You know, the patriarchy is alive and well. 
The only question is, are you serving a godly patriarch or an evil one? That's the only question in, in mind here. So it's astonishing the times we live in. Yeah. It's I, exciting. I thought somebody pointed out really well. Um, I think it's Drew Barrymore who, who got on her knees uh, and, and basically bowed down to a man. Right. Uh, it, it, this, this trans person uh, is just a dude wearing girls' clothes. And, and yet, uh, really, it's setting back and it's really dishonoring women and uh, in, in the language of honoring women. It's and oppressing it's, them. It's, it's wild and it's ridiculous. Well, that's our, our news segment for uh, this episode. We, um, we do want to transition and continue to move towards our topic uh, that we have for this season, and that's continuing to uh, discuss our church distinctives. Our distinctives here at Truth Family Bible Church, and today we we come to the next distinctive, and that is our love and our appreciation for our Reformation heritage, as expressed in the five solas of the Reformation. Uh, this is a, a, a wonderful, glorious um, element of what we seek to uphold uh, of our Christian faith, and this is not you know something that we don't live out. I mean, we just talked about the news, and then we're not going to talk about something so wonderful and glorious as these things. Um, but this, th th these understandings, when we talk about, uh, as we will today, sola scriptura, um, we, we just sought to apply the principles of the authority and the sufficiency of scripture to every area of life. And so that's really the big, uh, the, a, a big element that we want to make sure that we're tying in here, that this is not unrelated to what we just talked about. Uh, it's recognizing that the Lordship of Christ, uh, that's the heart of the gospel, um, affects the way we think and live in this present world. Yeah, and to me, the Reformation was just restoring what the early church fathers already knew and believed, right? I mean, it went sideways at the Council of Trent where they needed this, this other inspiration from men's voices, but clearly the early church fathers all believed this and understood it, clearly. They weren't and looking so, to reinvent anything, make anything new. Right, the Catholic Church right. clearly abused this. You know, and, and we heard this in Manny's interview, this idea of, well, you don't know, you need another voice to tell you what this means. And clearly that's not scripture. Right. Well, uh, those five solas, uh, sola scriptura, sola fide, sola gratia, solus Christus, and sola Deo gloria. Uh, the first is uh, the Bible alone as our highest authority, sola scriptura. Sola fide is we are saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Sola gratia, that's grace alone. We are saved by the grace of God alone. Solus Christus, that's Christ alone. Jesus Christ alone is our Lord and Savior and King. And sola Deo gloria, it's all to the glory of God alone. We live for the glory of God alone. And I love that sola scriptura comes first. I love that. You heard me in my testimony, you know, being an engineer and very, very logical I had to take the Bible and fundamentally own it. I needed to understand, is it really true? And so I looked for every caveat, every exception, and trying to disprove it, and it stands alone. And I like Josh Boyce, or Boyce. He said, the doctrines of grace, faith, Christ, and God's glory all stand or fall based on the connection to the Scripture. So I love that that's first. It establishes the base for everything that we believe, and the other four come out of Scripture. 100%. So yeah, we want to expand on these a little bit for you. And we want to explain why we believe these are so vital for us to believe and to include as distinctives. Now, again, we are not saying 
that these distinctives belong to us in a unique way as our local church, as if no other church holds to them or values them. We're just putting them out front as distinctive, as part of what we value and what we are intentionally including as part of our philosophy of ministry. These are the things that we are out front about. We, we don't just hold to them theoretically in a document that is put away in a drawer somewhere, and, and, and we can point to it if questioned or pressed or celebrated once a year. Uh, rather, we're wanting to put this out front as a distinctive that we hold dear and we seek to uphold, we want to talk about it, we want to live it out, and we want to do so all the time. And that's why the, these things um, are not just historical documents that we just point to, but these are the things that we seek to be about, and that's why we want to talk about that. So, so uh, when, we, when it comes to the five souls of the Reformation, let's first identify where they came from. Interestingly, uh, these five principles were not the nearly, oh, excuse me, the neatly summarized slogans of Luther and Calvin or any other, other Protestant reformer. Rather, uh, these became descriptive of the Reformed faith in the 19th and 20th centuries as the reformational impact and emphasis was examined and further organized. So these five solas are what theologians and historians identified as the primary conclusions that were developed in the battles that were fought in the 16th and 17th centuries. And so the issues that were debated and fought over centered around these five, as you look at it, right, as you, as you examine the history, as you look at the arguments, as you look at the issues, they all centered around these five main areas and they, these exclusive claims that truly revolve around the heart of the gospel. Like Jim said, this is, it was a movement about recovering first principles of Christian faith, Christian uh, doctrine. And so these five principles are not just peripheral they're not just secondary matters, but they go to the very core of Orthodox Christianity. And so we need to remember the context of that battle. It was an effort to recover the gospel that had been eclipsed, it had been shrouded by the Roman Catholic Church. As it had a stranglehold on power, uh, it, was, uh, it had corrupted the truth, it was abusive of the poor, it elevated tradition, and its own errors became codified into the religion. They were compounded. They were enforced. Its idolatry and its superstitions abounded. And so the Roman Catholic religion had been, become thoroughly corrupted, and it had corrupted the gospel itself. And what, the, and what the Reformers were led by God to do was to return to the foundational principles of true Christian religion. And as theologians and historians looked back, these five principles dominated the efforts and the emphasis of the Reformation. So while the Reformers may not have had this neatly constructed uh, uh, delineation of what they were doing, these are the battles that they fought in longer form. And so the Reformers may not have, again, summarized that teaching so succinctly, but there's no doubt that these five principles dominated their ministries. And, and so what we're saying today is that in order to keep ourselves true to the gospel, to keep ourselves from corruption, we need to value these principles for ourselves and to teach them to one another. That if, that if we don't love these things, if we don't keep these before our eyes, that it's very easy to lose them again. And they were lost at one time. 
And they can be lost again. And so we have to continue to foster them, to love them, to build them, to teach them, to make them a part of what it means to be the church. It's interesting because the, 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 the way that it kind of went off rails with the Catholic church or the attack on the early church fathers was through, they call it oral tradition. It's this idea of you need this extra oral speaking. Well, what it was is it was the apostles preaching and what were they preaching? They were preaching God's word, and then their preaching became God's word as it was written down. And so that's where the abuse comes from. And we see that today, these extra biblical revelations that are quote-unquote necessary. And so it's the same attack. It's just repackaged in a different way. John Owen said, if new revelation agrees with Scripture, they're needless. If they disagree, they're false. Good, good. Well, and to start off with, you'll notice in these five solas, we often speak of them in their Latin formulations, uh, which is a bit ironic, I think, since part of the Roman Catholic Church's stranglehold on power was to keep the people at a distance by shrouding the Bible in Latin where the common people did not have regular and easy access. And so a big emphasis of the Reformation was in getting the Bible to the people in their vernacular, that's in their common language. And so the Bible was to be read. It was to be understood by everyone, including the poor and the common person, which is what the Roman Catholic Church was very good at keeping from them. But the formulation of these five solas are in Latin, and the word sola means alone. You know, each of the five principles speak to the unique nature of, those, of that value and the importance of those concepts, but they are also built on each other in the exclusive claims of the gospel. And that's a key element of understanding Christianity, that Christianity is a religion that makes exclusive claims. And that's because of the nature of what Christ said. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. That's what you call an exclusive claim. And so the Reformation was first and foremost a recovery of that idea of a biblical gospel. And that is why the first, as Jim already identified, right, is sola scriptura. The starting place for the Reformation and for a biblical Christian gospel is the Word of God. The Scripture, that is the Bible, is alone. And in what way is it alone? It stands alone in its quality as the sole and sufficient authority for faith and practice. Let me say that again. The Bible alone stands as the sole and sufficient authority for faith and practice. It is the Bible alone that reveals God and reveals his will, especially in salvation. And so the Reformers came to understand that it was the Bible alone that was the ground of our theology and what God um, has called us to believe in. But for the Roman Catholic Church, the Bible is not the sole authority, but that authority is shared by the magisterium. And so the Pope and the religious apparatus of, of the Roman Catholic Church was seen as infallible, therefore equal to, uh, but in practice, actually, let's be real, in practice, it was elevated above the scripture. And so the elite in the church had the sole right of interpretation. And so even when they were wrong, their interpretation was to be unquestioned and authority rested in the interpretation of the church. But the reformers sought to recover the Bible's own authority. And that's the key element. They were not seeking to just wrestle authority away from the church so that they could have it for themselves. It was to acknowledge and recover 
the Bible's own authority to speak for God. And that rested on the accessibility of God's word, the accessibility of God's word to be read by more than just the elite, and for the ordinary principles of interpretation to be applied to its reading. So not, it wasn't just having the Bible, of having access to the Bible, but it was also recognizing and returning to the ordinary means of interpretation so that, uh, so that the Bible was able to speak for itself. And so since the Bible uh, speaks of itself as the Word of God and testifies of, of its own inspiration and perfections, then the Bible must be interpreted also by itself. Uh, Pastor Manny talked about this uh, when he was here as well. This principle of interpretation is called the analogy of Scripture, or more clearly explained, it is the notion that Scripture interprets Scripture. And that means that the Bible is inspired by God, it is infallible, and it is complete so that it is able to testify of itself and that passages that are difficult for us are interpreted by other scripture that is clear and explicit. And so the, the scripture as a whole, it, it, is, it is sufficient, and, and it interprets itself, it speaks for itself, and, and that's a, a key element of the Reformation. And so this understanding and access to the Bible absolutely revolutionized the world. And that's something I think we take for granted. You know, we we talked about this in the conference. I think it's so helpful that we recognize the shade in which we live in under the, the benefits of the Protestant Reformation that are just normal to us, normal in Western civilization, the access to the scripture, the access to the scripture in so many different forms. Um, and, and it's we take that for granted because it wasn't always the case that that the Reformation revolutionized the world and it served to tear down the walls that the Catholic Church had built to insulate itself, really, from scrutiny and to wield significant power. And so the Reformers' efforts were to return to the sole source of authority, uh, which and that was the key to everything, right? The Scripture led the way. It literally led to a two-class society. I mean, I was blessed to go on the Rhine's River in Germany and it's so evident the castles are up above and the plebes live down below by the river. And when the river floods, the poor people get killed and drowned, right? And so it's astonishing. It's, it's Aristotle. It's exactly what Pastor Manny was talking about. If you're born to be a king, you get to interpret the scripture. If you're not, you get to be told what to do. Uh, that's a great point, actually. If it were not for the Protestant Re Reformation, the middle class, the middle class exist. doesn't exist, right? Exactly. The, that, that it actually understands the... Uh, the individuality that we get the concepts of freedom uh, that have been re recovered out of the Protestant Reformation and the ability, the upward mobility of of the individual, uh, the the promise of the as we call it today, the American dream, the the ability to work hard, to prosper, and to succeed, and to grow, and to and to move from from station to station, to be ability to take risks and so forth. The, these are the outflows, uh, the, the the products of the Reformation that dignified the individual that dignified the, the, the quote-unquote common man. We're all common men, but you have this element of the elite versus the, the common or the poor, and you had the two classes, right? The upper class and the lower class, the, the rich and the poor, the elite and the, and the plebe. And, and, and yet the, the Protestant Reformation, in recognizing that the common man was to have access to the Bible, that, that was a, inherently a dignifying moment in history. You know, we talk about no neutrality, right? This is a, a battle for God's word. And God was obviously sovereign over this whole thing and allowing it to occur. But, 
But without that, we would not have political systems. We would not be having the debate on conservative There's versus no, liberal. There would be would no be, debate. We would be a king. That's right. Yeah. Hear ye, hear ye. Exactly. And get out of my way. Exactly. Right? Well, and, and and Pastor Manny, again, we've we've been we're still basking in the in the afterglow of our, the wonderful time we had at our conference and the time that we spent on the Lord's Day with with Pastor Manny Pereira. And uh, he reminded us about that was the condition known as the dark ages when when God's word was covered up and locked away. Uh, but the Reformation was truly about the light of Scripture being uncovered, recovered, brought out into the open so that it could shine forth. Truly the light of God, the light of Christ. And, and when that happened, the world was changed. And why was that? It was because the Bible was written by the Holy Spirit of God, and it is the Word of God that the Spirit uses to bring men and women to faith in Christ. This is the, the testimony of the Spirit is to is to promote and to uplift and to speak of the things of Christ and to uh, work in the lives to apply God's salvation to those um, who are uh, elect in God. And so the Spirit uses the Word, and so the Word is the is the primary thing that needs to be thundered forth. Uh, in the hearing of all. And, and that's really, if we need a reformation in our own day, it means that we must have a significant return to the, the preaching of the gospel by the word of God from cover to cover and, uh, and, and to return to the, to the scripture. Uh, Jim, would, would you actually uh, read for us Second um, Timothy 3, 15 and 17? I think it's, a, it's an important verse for us. Yeah, and I'll start with what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, and that from your pastor... It doesn't say in that from your priest, it doesn't say that from your pope or from your government, it says, and that from your childhood, you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproofing, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that man may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Well, I like the, even the emphasis that you put on that, that this idea of from your childhood identifies that it's it should be from your parents who have the word of God. And notice that this is what happened with Timothy, right? So this is where we go back to this idea of recovering exactly. uh, original principles, not something new and, and, and novel. But we notice there, I, I think it was really helpful to include verse 15. We normally just pull out 16 and 17, and that's we understand that. But we notice that in verse 15, what Paul is emphasizing here to Timothy is the value that the word of God brings. And that is, it's able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And that's, uh, and then he goes on to say, the, the character of the word of God is such that that's what it produces. The, the word of God is inspired by God. It is God breathed. And it has all of these profitable elements to it. But if we don't include verse 15, chief among them is the, the beginning point, which is the salvation that comes, that, that it leads to, um, which is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it continues. I mean, Second Peter 1 says, for all life and godliness. So it's, again, it's back to it's applicable for every area of life. Uh, I think that's another great point because salvation is not simply getting your get out of hell free card. 
uh, you cash in at the end. But the point of salvation is to lead you into all godliness, into all areas of life wherein Christ is Lord of your life, Lord of all, that you acknowledge and submit to him, and then you live it out. Right. We're not just waiting for Jesus to come back either. We're actively engaging in our responsibility to grow in Christ by being obedient and then take that word out to the world. Right. And we're, we're to become like Christ. Right. And, and when we find, okay, well, what is Christ like? He's impartial, by the way. Right. So we should be speaking about being impartial and the evils of of partiality. Right. And so those are uh, are really important elements. This is such a foundational passage because it speaks to the the word of God, what it does and and its value for those who believe. And we have to engage in it. It's not just to sit back and, and allow the word to quote unquote do us. We have to actively participate in this. And I loved coming out of ShepCon you know, Phil's was, you can, or no, it was Abner. It was, you can finish well. We can finish well. We have all the quote unquote tools to finish well, but we have to desire it. You know, second Timothy two, it says, you know, you have to desire this. You have to desire to be engaged in Christ. And so we have to participate in it. Yeah. No, uh, no bench warmers. Right. 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 Uh, Deuteronomy chapter four, verse two, revelation 22, 18 and 19 also speaks of the word of God. Uh, in terms of it's forbidding that anything be added to the scripture or taken away from it. And, and so it just speaks to the nature of the Bible being a, com- a complete rule of faith, and it is sufficient for every spiritual understanding. If it wasn't sufficient, then of course you would need to add to it. Uh, if it wasn't sufficient, then then perhaps it would be okay to remove those parts that actually uh, were uh, not helpful for us. But the reality is that it is sufficient, uh, it is authoritative, and the, the Bible alone is what our consciences are to be bound to. It is the Word of God because it is it is inerrant, it is perfect, it is from God, it is His will. And because of what it says, it stands or falls on itself. So if one part of it is wrong, the whole thing is gone. You know, it's, it's, it's an all or none proposition. It is truly God's Word or it is not. Another one of those, again, that's just the nature of Christianity. It's it's in the exclusive claims of God, the exclusive claims of the gospel. Of Christ and the word. Absolutely. The word. Absolutely. Go prove it wrong. John MacArthur said this, uh, Scripture is therefore the perfect and only standard of spiritual truth, revealing infallibly all that we must believe in order to be saved and all that we must do in order to glorify God. I think that's just a great summation, right? It's gorgeous. Uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith also says, The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men. What a great succinct statement that it hits all these all these high points we've already touched on this idea of not adding to it um, not uh, getting new revelation you already mentioned that jim as well as the traditions of men like the roman catholic church did and certainly many others it's not exclusive to them but that's certainly the danger um that, that and, and the face. beauty is is that we now know how to live right i mean my favorite t-shirt by what standard by the scripture that's how we can live. It speaks to everything we need for life and godliness. It's got, it's the answer for everything. You know, the the post-COVID review that I did, you've heard me say this. Had I looked back, what can I learn going forward? It's go to scripture, 
go to Leviticus and read how much God cares about the details of disease and know that he's sovereign over everything. And not to simply dismiss that as, oh, well, that was, that's not for us. Right. It was a scab and the color of the, the hair coming out of the scab is written in scripture because God is telling us he cares. Hmm. Well, the whole point uh, of this discussion today is that the scripture itself promotes its sufficiency. The scripture itself promotes its authority and its power to convert sinners and to lead them in the way that they should live. And so Jesus also identified in Luke chapter 16 that the scripture was sufficient and superior even over signs and miracles to persuade and convert if God is so willing and so even if someone rises from the dead, Jesus says, uh, that is not what is needed to make someone believe. And so, so often we think that there are conditions, circumstances, extra things that we need that are, uh, are more powerful because uh, we often have a small and low view of, of Scripture. Uh, reminds me also of, of 1 Corinthians uh, 1 and 2, where, where Paul acknowledges that to the world, the things of, of God are foolishness. And it's unfortunately too often for the believer, for, for the Christian, we, we treat God's word as if we think it's foolish too. And uh, to, to understand how great and wonderful and perfect and sufficient and authoritative God's word is, it, it then calls us to submit and to love and to obey um, and to uphold and, and to teach and to communicate God's word. It's, it's paramount. And, then, and Danny, I'll say this. A lot of churches have five solaces on their website. A lot of churches will post this and say that they believe this. The question is, is does it disseminate through every vein? Does it disseminate through every cell of our bodies and, and become the only way to live? And that has to do with a high view of lordship. And I think that's where... That's where we started. That's where it starts. And, and that's where many churches today, just because they post it, doesn't mean they really, truly believe it. Well, and God help us all. Right. Uh, we want that to be true of us and right. we it doesn't happen like you said just because we post it right it, it has to be something that we um that we have in our hearts and and that we live out and that's why we want to talk about it if we don't talk about it and we just leave it on the shelf leave it on the interwebs then uh then it really is doing us no good and so the scripture and scripture alone is sufficient and authoritative for revealing god's truth for leading us to follow him and the Bible is for our salvation, and in it Christ is revealed. Well, that's all the time we have for truth today. We want to thank you for joining us. And until next time, we hope that you will grow in your love and commitment to Christ and his church as we are sanctified in the truth. God's word is truth.